Amen. Hallelujah. He is worth a thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all can be seated if you would. This is so exciting. Day number two of our prayer conference. We're going to be having several sessions this morning, little mini sessions. And if you didn't have the opportunity, I would really encourage you to grab one of these papers and take notes and follow along. I believe we are going to put up the slide up there, but I want to speak to you first about loving Jesus by loving his body. Loving Jesus by loving his body. If you read the epistle of 1 John, you'll find that the author there, John, is always equating two things. If you love Jesus, you will love his body. How can we say we love him who we have not seen when we don't love those around us who we do see? And when we speak about this, I want to speak about it really specifically, the context of the prayer meeting. Whenever we come together as a church, whether you're in your home and you're gathered together as believers, how can we love one another like that? And I want to keep it really simple and just say, be prepared, be active and sensitive, and then get them to God. Get them to God, not to you, not the sound of your voice in their ear. And I sure felt prophetic when I was praying over them. No, they need to have their heart attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit, not to the voice of Andrew or anybody else. Be prepared. Be prepared. You know, we're always told be prepared because you never know whenever something's going to happen. And those that are prepared are those who survive the best. But even in the prayer meeting, here's the thing. What is our relationship to the body of Christ outside of this? What is my relationship to you? And I'm convicted even saying this because as I was preparing this, I'm not as close to the body as I want to be. But what is my relationship to Drake the other six days of the week? What about whenever we're not here in the altar together? What's in his heart? What's in his mind? Has he been posting to the prayer chain? Is his mother sick? What's going on in his life? Just using him as an example. What are his hopes? What are his dreams? What are the struggles? What are the victories that are going on around the body? I should keep note of those. I should meditate on those. We even have phones, right? How wonderful. You can keep a note on your phone and you don't have to lose the sticky. If we would do that throughout the week, imagine how prepared we would be on a Sunday. If we would reflect on that every couple days even and just say, Lord, I lift up Drake who's seeking a job around LSU. And he really wants that, Lord. And this is a transition in his life. Or I pray for the sister who's had a miscarriage, God. You know, this is very difficult. And while these things are in my heart and in my spirit, then when I arrive at church, I'm prepared. Because in a big way, I already know what's going on in the body of Christ. And that leads into the next point right here, which is being active and sensitive. Whenever my heart is prepared in that way, whenever I'm being others focused and not me focused, which is very difficult sometimes whenever you've had a hard week and things like this, but whenever I'm beginning to serve and to be prepared to wash the feet of the saints, I just want to take my spot here as a soldier. I want to make my way into the altar or whatever that looks like in your church. I want to be aware and have this prayer on my lips. God, show me who I can minister to do to today. Sometimes uh, I'll sit back and I'll just kind of look around the room and I'm, you know, you always feel people's eyes on you, right? You're like, oh, they're looking at me. It's not that I'm thinking anything about the person, but I'm just kind of looking around. What is the need? Who's hurting here? I know someone needs something here. I remember one time I, I was in the altar and I saw this lady, young lady here. She was, she was kneeling down. And in my mind in that moment, I was like, ah, I saw her getting up and saying something. And I went over and I asked her, I said, did God tell you to say something? 
Yes, but I was too nervous. And so I was able to encourage her a little bit. But just being sensitive, being active, being ready, being aware, being nimble, as it were. Then we can move into pray, move in faith to pray for God's people. And we need to believe that God will answer prayer. Sometimes it's all someone can do to just come and stand here weekly. And you see them and you wonder why they're doing that. Why do they look so down? Well, maybe this week they said they lost their job. And they're having issues with a family member who's lost and so many other things, but they're there and they have presented themselves there. And you and I are needed to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ to believe for them. Sometimes they're having trouble lifting up their shield of faith, but you can raise yours up to quench the fiery darts of the enemy to give them some cover so they can take a breath, be refreshed by the Lord and then stand up believe God themselves, and to go back into this world that is always fighting against them. Sometimes that's all they can do. There was another brother one time, he was down here and he looked depressed or discouraged or thoughtful. That's part of being active and sensitive, being sensitive. I'm not just going to go put my hand on someone and start shaking them around and that's the last thing that they need. But what is God doing right there? If he is everywhere at all times ministering, doing all things, he is actively wanting to minister to this person. I'm not doing this on my own. I'm going to join God in the work that he desires to do, and I'm the vessel. How do you want me to approach this person? Jesus approaching the woman at the well, he didn't call her a brood of vipers. He did that to the Pharisees after a couple of years of his ministry. How do you want me to minister to this person? I may pause a minute. Lord Jesus, just show me. Show me, Lord God. Even if you don't give me a word of knowledge, if you don't show me like their business and what's going on, I don't need to go tell them, God showed me this about you, but I don't, again, I don't have to feel anything. I don't have to feel prophetic. I don't have to feel the gifts flowing. Sometimes you might just go and not even put your hand on them and just pray behind them and begin to war for them because you can tell they are communing with God. And I don't want to interrupt what God is already doing, but I want to foster that and I want to help them along with it. And then the last thing, get them to God. Give, them, give Jesus what he wants. We're not only warring against the enemy and pushing him back, but we're also warring to push ahead the purposes and the plans of God. My goodness, what gifts are in the altar waiting to be stirred up? What seeds of the word and of the Holy Spirit are there? If we could pray, perhaps that is the water and today they will begin to operate and to move in faith in these things. But to do all of this, we have to keep Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 we have to consider how to stir up one another. That takes thought. That takes time. Even outside of a Sunday or a normal service. To stir up one another. My mind has to be turned by the Lord to others and not just myself. I've got to be with the body. I can't neglect it even when I'm depressed. How can I be helped if I'm not there to receive the help when I need it most? but to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Do you believe that Jesus is coming soon? Then love his people and get them to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you would stand with me, we're going to do something now. We're going to take these next two minutes. You don't have to even move from your seat. Respond to God. I would ask you to do this. Open your heart to him. And ask him to share his heart with you each time one of these sessions happens. What do you want me to take from this right here, Lord God? Teach me that. So I just invite you now as they were playing.
respond to the Lord where you are and let him plant in you what he wants to do. for that word. Give us eyes to see today the things that you see, to see others with your heart and with your eyes, God. Make us compassionate for one another. We just thank you for this word, Lord. Let these words that we hear today just be burned into our hearts. See that could not be easily taken away by the enemy, but words that would stay with us, God. This segment is titled, That Sorrow Which Produces Sacrificial Worship. So we're here this weekend to talk about intimacy with God, and one of the ways that we learn intimacy with God is through sorrow and the things that we experience in this life. Sorrow mixed with unbelief leads to bitterness and despair, while sorrow mixed with faith leads to intimacy and sacrificial worship. We're going to see this played out in a famous story, the story of Lazarus when he was when he died, and y'all know the story very well. We're not going to read it for time's sake, but I want to remind you of a few things in the story. 
Jesus tarries and Lazarus dies. And four days later, after Lazarus has been in the grave, Jesus arrives. And the Bible says that Mary and Martha were in the house. They were in despair. They were in sorrow. They were surrounded by people who were weeping and mourning with them. And they hear that Jesus has finally come. And Martha jumps up to go out. And the scripture clearly says, Mary remained seated in the house. It's important. I want you to remember that. So Martha goes out to see Jesus. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, Martha, can you just believe me? Will you believe me? Though he died, he will yet live. I am the resurrection and the life. Believe me today. And so Martha leaves Jesus. She goes back to the house. And the scripture just says that she told Mary, Jesus asks for you. He asks for you. And so Mary got up. But I imagine that moment, like surely what she said to her was, Mary, he told us to believe him. He told us to believe him. He's asking for you. Come. And so Mary changes her posture. She remained in her seat. But now that Jesus is calling her, she responds and she comes. And the scripture says that she falls at his feet when she gets to him at the edge of the city. She falls at his feet, and this is what it says. It says that Jesus saw her, and he was deeply moved. The original meaning of that word is indignant, and it means feeling or showing annoyance at what is perceived to be unfair treatment. I want you to imagine this moment. Mary is at the, at the feet of Jesus, and he's looking down at her. And y'all, Jesus told the people, Lazarus's death is, it's not unto death, the sickness. It's for the glory of God. He has said these words. He's teaching the people. He's done miracle after miracle. He's healed so many people. But I just imagine Jesus looking down at Mary and in his heart, he's grieved. And the Bible says that he wept. And not because Lazarus died. I believe he wept. Because the people could not trust him. The people couldn't see past their circumstance to believe God, that he had a plan, that he was working something for their good. So as he looks at her, he is moved with compassion for her. And y'all, today, wherever you are in your circumstance in your life, Jesus is moved with compassion for you. He's looking at your circumstance and he's saying to you, believer, Believe me. Trust me. I have something greater for you. You are asking God for healing, but what he wants to give you is resurrection. And the people couldn't see that. Mary and Martha couldn't see that. They didn't understand that because all they wanted was what they wanted. And y'all, in our life, we do this to the Lord so much. Disappointment in life is a great way for God to show us that we have put an unfair expectation on him. When you feel disappointed, it's not because God has let you down. It's because you expected something from him that he never promised you. He promises us peace in this life and joy in this life and that he will help us in our sorrow. But he never said that we wouldn't experience it. But the beautiful thing is that he uses it. And when we are willing to trade healing, the thing that we want, this is what I'm asking you for, God. If you will trade your healing for resurrection, which is the greater gift, the greater thing that God wants to give you, he will trade your sorrow for love. And we think so often that he's going to trade our sorrow for joy. Y'all, it's not about joy. It's about love. It's about intimacy. This is so beautiful. Please hear this. I just have really prayed that the Holy Spirit would impart this to you. Just after this happens, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. 
and he goes into hiding because the Jews instantly put a plan in motion to kill him. And he tells the disciples, "Ah, basically, this is the end. And he's telling the disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to be resurrected. It wasn't a secret. But you see in the next chapter, they're in the house. The disciples are there with Jesus. And Mary comes into the room. And she breaks open an ointment jar. And she pours this expensive ointment on Jesus. And the disciples are all around her. They've seen all the same things. They've heard all the same things that she has heard. But they're not listening. They're not hearing what he's saying. Mary is the only one who heard him, who listened, who was intimate enough with Jesus to hear what he was saying, especially when he was saying something that no one wanted to hear. He just did the greatest miracle of his ministry. And the disciples are in there and they're like, this is it. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of the reign of Jesus. Like they have an expectation that he's going to literally become the king of Israel and lead an army and overthrow the Romans. They have their preconceived idea of what the Messiah should do. But that was never Jesus's plan. His plan was to go to a cross and die for our sins. And it was something they couldn't understand. And so they're in this room with Jesus days before he's going to give his life. And Mary is the only one who listens and says, I hear you, Jesus, that you're going to die. And I'm going to anoint your body for burial. And y'all, that worship that she poured out on his feet helped him. It encouraged him. And you have that same opportunity today to help your God, to love him in a way that he desires to be loved. And this is what your what the bullet says. It says, when your faith transcends logic, your sacrificial worship can be poured out completely. Mary's logic in that moment said, this is the beginning of something great. Jesus is answering our prayers. But her faith heard what Jesus was saying. She heard him say, I'm going to die. And she did what she could do in that moment to worship him completely. Y'all, don't you want that for your life? Isn't that how you want to know Jesus? If you are in this room today and you are dealing with sorrow, please don't let it ruin you. You can turn away from the Lord and you can be ruined with your sorrow Or you can let Jesus be moved with compassion. You can let him help you. You can let him encourage you this morning. And you can become intimate with him in a way that you cannot any other way. And you can hear his voice when he's saying things that you don't want to hear. And you can have the faith to believe him. Can we stand and just pray? We're going to go into a time of worship right now. I know that's a lot of information. It's a lot, but I'm going to tell you something. This is a truth that is so profound. Only the Holy Spirit can give you this revelation. I could say these words to you a thousand times, but without the Holy Spirit, you cannot believe what has just been spoken. So would you pray right now and just ask him, particularly those of you who are dealing with sorrow right now, If you're going through a difficult circumstance, we're going to move into a time of worship. And this altar is open to you if you need to pray. And just let the Lord heal you this morning. Let him make your sorrow useful. Let it draw you into intimacy with him.
heart of 
of Christianity, that it would, it would represent and be a better demonstration of the heart of God. A heart of grace. A heart of compassion. It can feel, not just see the needs of people, but it can feel the needs of people. And it cannot sit there and do nothing. It has to help. It engages itself. Just for the next moment, pray for this heart in your life, in your church, in your ministry. share a couple points with you on the, the prayer closet. Um, I have to make an apology. My, my bullet points have changed on you. But I want to start with that famous verse um, in Matthew 6. I'm reading New, New American Standard. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And that in the King James says your prayer closet. Of course, this is Jesus talking. So my first point is that it's a reality. It's it's God's standing invitation for intimacy with us. It's not just something that we've come up with or or something we've thought about. Jesus himself is has said, go into that inner room. Go into that secret place. And we think that a lot of times we see things in the natural, and then there's parallels. There's parallels in the spirit. And you think about uh, like this morning when you walked into your to your closet. What did you What did you find in there? Clothes, right? Clothes for all different types of weather. Uh, and so in Luke twenty four forty nine. When Jesus is the last thing he told his followers before he blessed them and lifted up off the earth to go back to heaven. He said, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, the Holy Spirit. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we can walk into our closet in the morning, our spiritual closet, and be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can look around and maybe there's belts or there's vests. There's big coats for, for weathering the storms, right, if it's bad weather. And so Ephesians 6 says that we can put on the full 
armor of God so that we may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. There's belts. We have a belt of truth in that prayer closet. Access to us where God is wanting intimacy with us, where he can give us truth, the power of truth. He can give us love. Grace and truth is what Jesus ministered, and that's what he wants us to minister. Love and power, grace and truth. And then the most important thing in verse 15 of Ephesians 6 is so our feet can be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our world all around us is dying. It's dying all around us with hurts and pains they're looking for a place to turn to and God has set us in our neighborhoods he set us in our workplaces he's got our families that we can offer them the gospel of peace so the first thing is that that's God standing God almighty the creator of heaven and earth is waiting for us in that inner room He's waiting for us. If we would just come, he would provide everything we need. The second point I wanted to mention is it's personal. It's not going to look the same for everyone. It's, it's It's designed specifically for you and your father. It's not a formula. It's just like you think about husband and wife. You can't say, if I do this, 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 a checklist, then we're going to be intimate. No, it's the same with the Lord. It's not a formula. It's, there's dynamics. You know, it's love. It's intimacy. It's growing close together. It's sharing your heart, allowing God to share his heart with you because that's, that's where life is. It's not, it's not boring. If it's just checklist, it can be boring. If it's just, uh, if it's life, if it's love, if it's intimacy, if it's peace, then it'll be um, life-giving in your relationship with him and your relationship with, with one another. The third point I wanted to make was Jesus had an inner room. He, in, in Luke 5.16, Luke 4.42, and Mark 1.35, it talks about Jesus often slipped away to the wilderness. He often went early in the morning to a secluded place. So this could be prayer walks for you. It could be going out at night, late at night, sitting out on your swing, looking up at the stars. It doesn't have to be a certain way. We don't have to be a cookie cutter. We don't have, all have to do the same. It can be early morning for you, walks into the woods, whatever is between you and your father. He just desires you. He just desires your time and your heart. And I love the proof of that is John twelve forty nine, when Jesus said, Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the father has told me. And in John 5, he says, the son can do nothing of himself. Think about that. He can do nothing. This is Jesus saying, I can do nothing of myself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does. In our prayer closet, we can hear what God is saying. And we can walk out and say exactly what God's saying, what's on God's heart. We can see what God's doing. It's in the prayer closet. It's in the inner chamber where God can show his heart to you. And the one I love the most is in Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. It said, God, 
after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. These last days has spoken to us in his son and has said he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. You know, God's called us to be witnesses. We can go into our prayer closet. And come out and represent God in all of his glory, in all of his radiance. And people will say, he's been with Jesus. She's been with Jesus. Because that's where our source is. That's where the radiance of his glory is. So I want us to stand. And while you're thinking about this, I know it's it's kind of a carnal thing. But I was reminded of this commercial that you, I don't even know if it's on TV anymore. It used to be on all the, all the football games and stuff. But I, I used to love this commercial. But it was about a bank card. And it was talking about purchasing power. It was talking about all the benefits you would use as you use this card. All the rewards that you would get if you use this bank card. And ultimately, if you use this bank card, you will get to financial freedom. And they used to look at the camera and say, what's in your wallet? I don't know if you remember that. So listen, guys. The question today is, what's in your closet? We have the power. The power of God is in our closet. The rewards of walking with him day in and day out is in that closet. The benefits. So where are we when, are we walking in power to bridle our tongue? The power is in the prayer closet. To, to taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ is in the prayer closet. To lay hands on the sick and they'll be recovered. To resist the devil and he flee from you. The powers in the prayer closet. So we ask you, we ask ourselves, be honest. Say, what's in my prayer closet? So just think about that. God is wanting us to be intimate with him. He's waiting for us every day, every night. He wants us to be intimate with him. And that's where the that's where the power is. That's where the glory is. That's where God is. Amen. Just pray, thank you.